0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 739 of the Juicebox podcast, which you are enjoying ad-free today for being a subscriber, and I thank you. Welcome back to the Bold Beginning series. Today's episode with Jenny Smith and I is all about carbs. I think I'm just going to call it carbs. Carbs. Bzz. Anyway, while you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice Medical or otherwise, always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin.
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm uh, doing okay. I am looking through our bold beginnings list. We are a little more than halfway through recording, and we're up upon carb guidelines and impact of food, which is how the... Statements questions and concerns sent in by people were categorized by our dear Isabel. so <laughs> it's a bit of a long list, but I think we can get through it cool if, if we try so there's two th- there's I don't know there's two thoughts here right carb guidelines like what does that mean impact of food what does that mean? I think we're gonna see by listening to people's statements first first one out of the box. All carbs are not created equal. That comes directly from the podcast. So somebody is uh, speaking from a perspective of having been diagnosed, listened to the podcast, and looking back now thoughtfully and saying, what do I wish people would have told me in the beginning? That all carbs aren't the same. Correct. Okay. Now, you and I talk about this. It feels like constantly, to the point where sometimes I'm embarrassed that I don't have other Examples when I pull up like two foods, there's two foods that pop into my head every time. And I, I'm always like, I should come up with different foods. <laughs> but that's a conversation I'm having. At well, least there's head.
1: consistency there, then. Uh, right. My,
0: yes. My brain is pulling from the same place over and over again. But, you know, the, the basic idea here is that you're going to be told to either count your carbs and bolus, or you might be told to eat on a schedule or eat a certain amount of carbs, but no one ever explains to you that all carbs don't impact blood sugars the same way you're taught the number right right and that is comforting in the beginning to people like oh you just count you know right. and, and and that's mm-hmm. why you'll hear some people go like real like heavy into like i bought a scale it goes down to the like you know down right. to the gram <laughs> you know you know like if i if i measure this correctly you know That works mostly, but it's not a perfect system, right? Correct. From a different person, counting carbs was a huge stressor for us. We needed easy ways to count carbs, and we needed to understand how different things would hit differently. So let's talk about that a little bit. What do you think is the benefit of telling people that, and what do you think the problem is with telling people that?
1: I think initially the benefit goes along with the first line of Information, which is counting carbs, because you have to learn. Many people don't read labels before they're diagnosed, right? They may look at certain things on it, but they're not really looking specifically at carbohydrates and learning how to count the grams of carb. But I do think that along with that conversation, if you're going to show somebody and tell them how important it is to count carbohydrates and give this medicine, that's that could be really heavy in action based on what they, what they know now about food and how the food works with their insulin. You essentially should be telling them or giving a baseline list of these foods are slower, these foods act a little faster, these foods act really, really fast. They may all have the same carb amount based on portion. But they may have a very different onset of action in terms of what you see happen to your blood sugar. So I think a, a simplified chart, not only for carb counting, which is a really basic, easy concept uh-huh. for the most part. Moving into that, though, the bigger discussion should be about how those carbs could show up differently in terms of your CGM trend, especially. Or even finger stick values if you're doing enough of them because you don't have a CGM yet. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, taking that one step further, if, if you do have a really good educator, they should really sit down with you and they should ask you, what, what are you eating? Not give you a random list and you maybe eat three foods out of the 50 that are on it. And you say, well, this wasn't very helpful. Mm-hmm. Sitting down and giving them what you eat or what your child eats and getting feedback on what should I expect do of you, these foods?
0: Do you think that sometimes when clinicians give lists of foods, They see it as an opportunity to change your eating habits to better things. So they write stuff. So the list consists of like broccoli and, you know, things that they're like, I'm pretty sure people don't eat enough broccoli. So we'll put broccoli (laughs) on the list. Uh, There's one that you say all the time that I stop myself from laughing constantly. Quinoa. No one eats quinoa, Jenny. Just you and four other people. (laughs) Right. Um, so
1: tasty! My kids like it. <laughs>
0: All right, listen, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes they give you the list they wish you ate, not the list you actually ate. Right. Right, and, and which it,
1: is it, it is unfortunate. I would say, I don't know. I we'd have to ask honestly, like how many people were really given this random list of stuff that looked like it was supposed to be healthier, but they never really ate, versus just the typical list of carb counts for foods that's like a general list right the the 15 gram per portion kind of list and i can tell you those lists from when i was a kid are they're they're many of them are not like great foods many of them are processed
0: i just find myself wondering how many Nurse practitioners who on a sa- on a on a Saturday morning hungover eating Honey Smacks would never tell you how to bolus for Honey Smacks. <laughs> so, oh, <no. laughs> so because it seems like you'd be saying, "Hey, it's fine to eat a Twinkie." You know what I mean? Instead of saying, "Look, a Twinkie's not great for you." There's here I could sit for twenty minutes and tell you why not to eat this thing, but. I think it's possible you're going to eat it and it would be nice for you to know how to bolus for it. And I don't think that conversation happens, but I want to no. go back a little bit to something you were saying a minute ago about how nice it would be to explain to people, here's a list of foods that'll kind of impact at this level. And here's a list that might hit a little harder. Or here's a list that might hit a little quicker, whatever it is. It, it made me feel like the problem with doing that, if I'm thinking about how to explain things to people is that you're in this short doctor's visit, and now you're gonna start telling them that food's not food. This food is right. Mike Tyson, and this food is Sugar Ray Leonard, and this food is, you know, a 150 pound guy who's only been boxing for three days. And, or I don't know how. So I'm trying to think, like, what would you say to somebody? Would you say, look, uh, when you think about speed, there's the kind of speed that a Camry creates, there's the kind of speed that a Mustang creates, there's the kind of speed that a Tesla creates. These are all cars. But the way they generate speed is differently. I I don't know how you could say it to someone and explain to them, you're going to eat a baked potato, and it is going to make your blood sugar higher in the future. Um, It might make it really high because because of the impact it's going to have for the lasting effect it's going to have in your system. But it won't jump up in the air like if you took out a ring pop and just started sucking on it.
1: Correct. Yeah, In know. fact, one of the ones that I explain that way it, it's grapes. I call them sugar bombs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they really are. They are you eat them, it's it's why raisins are also one of the like treatments for low blood sugar mm. because they impact so quickly that they will cause a, a quick spike. So I I that's a it's a good way to think about kind of reaching somebody at a level that they can say, oh. I understand that. That totally makes sense.
0: Around this time of year, uh, cherries come into season. Yeah. And Arden will just take a bowl of cherries. And I swear to you, I think sometimes she might take 10, 11 units of insulin to eat a small bowl of cherries. Right? It just, it's like she's having a popsicle over and over and over again, like as she's sitting there. Right? (laughs) Right. It's funny because before diabetes, I would have thought cherries, that sounds healthy. Grapes, that sounds good for you. (laughs) You know, like I didn't pay much attention to, to nutrition um, prior to diabetes. I was not raised well uh, in many different ways, but around food was one of them. We were just really broke, you know, like it was like meatloaf night. You got potatoes with that. The next night was chicken with chicken came green beans. Like we were just my mom right. was just trying to make 70 dollars last the week you know what i mean yes. like she didn't she not she just didn't want us to die and she didn't want us to be broke so right. uh, you know like so it is um i don't know like i so c- kind of like circling back to it there has to be a way right now to explain to people that more than all carbs are not created equal although after doing this podcast forever i don't know that that's not the best thing to say is that you have to be aware that these foods are going to impact differently and you started to talk about it a second ago that processed food is going to be more difficult to bolus for than you know simple simple stuff real food
1: and yeah. i mean to to be quite honest it food that is real is not broken down it hasn't been processed through a factory someplace transformed into this dinosaur shape, <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I use the phrase, which has been well overused in, on online and describing food. But if my grandma didn't know what it was, then it's probably not real food or it's probably processed and started out as food.
0: Right.
1: Well, So the, there's the way, a difference. The
0: way my brain does it, because it's funny, you said dinosaur shaped, which It's really funny because when Cole was little, one of the first nutritional decisions I made as an adult was if I'm going to give the kid chicken nuggets, I'm going to buy chicken and I'm going to bread it myself and I'll bake it in the oven and I'll give him nuggets. And when we first did it, you might've thought, I don't know if you saw this, uh, this video lately, apparently there's an aquarium overseas uh, because of budget cuts, they had to go to a cheaper grade of mackerel for the penguins, (laughs) And they hold them out and the penguins turn their heads away and won't, they like won't Won't touch them. them. Like, like, and so that was Cole when I first gave him fresh, real chicken nuggets. He ate them and he was like, what is this garbage? (laughs) (laughs) I said, Cole, this is just a, I, I overspent. I bought chicken breast. I cubed it up nicely. I even, I don't know if you know this, but when you slice meat, there's a direction you can slice that yes. makes it easier to chew, right? Yes. So I even, I went that far, Jenny. Breaded it nicely. I put seasoning on it.
1: What a nice dad you are. Ah, Jennifer,
0: you know. And then and the kid, then he acted like I was trying to give him one of these, you know, cut-rate mackerels. And, right. But after a long time, it just switched. I, it, mm-hmm. I just noticed how his palate just changed. He doesn't want a frozen dinosaur that somebody said has chicken in it because I'm not certain it was chicken. You you, you know what I mean? Um, right, right. And so we we did that, and then we did it in as many places as we could. But, but my thought here for people, and you were just saying it a second ago, when you look at something, you look at a piece of chicken, and somebody says to you, what's in that? Your answer is chicken.
1: Chicken. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when someone says, that's a grape, what's in that? Your answer is, it's a grape. When somebody right. says, hey, what's in that Oreo? You don't go... Oreo. <laughs>
1: right. It's just like, let's look at the ingredients on the package. Right. How many are there? Can you read them? Do you know what they are?
0: Right. It's it's you there are I don't know how many things. And I don't even mean to just pick Oreos, but anything like that, there's 20, 30 things in there, and you don't know what any of them are. And this is this oversimplified thing I've been hearing people say for decades. And it just becomes more important when you're the one that has to figure out the insulin, not your pancreas, because you Correct. can your body can hammer through a lot of crap. Like, I'm pretty sure we could eat stones and get away with it for a little while. Don't eat stones. But you know what I mean? Like, like we're I'm, I'm,
1: not birds.
0: Right? <laughs> birds eat stones.
1: Birds, some birds, they, it helps their digestion. If you see birds on the side of the road, um, it's oh. totally random thought. But yes, <laughs> they're like Picking stones, and you're like, why is that bird picking through the stones? It's because the stones in the digestive system help too. Oh.
0: Break I, thought, down. I, I don't know
1: that it's all birds. So if you are a bird expert, I am certainly not stepping on toes. I, I know that birds eat stones. Not all of them do.
0: I so. thought you just <laughs> said birds because I said penguins earlier. But no, um no. But my point is, first of all, I, I can't believe I have to say this. Please don't eat stones. Your body cannot process stones. <laughs> but my no. point was is you could put a lot of crap in yourself especially when you're younger and your system can fight through it. It doesn't mean it's Mm -hmm. good for you. And it doesn't mean you're not going to have short term or long term like health effects from it. But I think that thing tricks us a little bit. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you go out on a Friday night and you have nachos and this and you have pizza and you're drinking beer. And the next day, you know, someone says, are you okay?" And the answer is no, I'm not okay." And then More of the answers, you probably shouldn't go in the upstairs bathroom, you you know, like, like, (laughs) but then five or six hours later, you feel okay again. And that somehow, I don't know how humans think, Jenny, but somehow we don't think about the time spent in the bathroom clutching the wall (laughs)
1: <laughs> no talking no, to Jesus it's, <laughs> absolutely it's almost like our taste buds win out right yeah, yeah. the memory of the of the taste and maybe even the social experience that went along with the taste and and the enjoyable like eating experience all of that is more the forefront of the brain and out goes the experience of the bathroom that you spent four hours in yeah you know it's it is I humans are. We are interesting.
0: Right. Really interesting. And what I see anecdotally is when people are diagnosed with diabetes, their first thought is generally, I don't want to lose my freedom about how I eat. And I don't want you to either. I mean, if you listen to this podcast long enough, you'll know, I think you should eat whatever you want. I just want you to know how to bolus for it. So that's what we're talking about here. Whether you're going to eat the Twinkie or have a pile of nachos or eat Jenny's quinoa, you know, or somewhere in between.
1: Right. And I think what it boils down to, honestly, is given like the more newly diagnosed and this information coming to them, carb counting, know that the carb count is like it's like the base step. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, you know how to count how much you're eating. But the next step of that and very close to it really is what kind of food is it? Is it a slow action, kind of like a turtle, or is it fast like the hare, right? I mean, if you imagine those two just simply, um, it'll help you make more sense. And then look at what you're already eating. Regardless of what somebody told you should be eating or shouldn't be eating anymore, the easiest thing to not change yet another piece of your life, take what you're eating and see how things look. After you eat those foods yeah. and you can say, okay, I, I think this is enough insulin, but it looks like my blood sugar rose up too quickly. Gosh, Scott was right. Maybe I need a little bit more pre yeah. <laughs> right? So let's try that. And yeah. maybe this is more of a high glycemic food. It's not really so slow or medium like I thought it might be. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm looking at two different statements here from two different people. And if you want to know why it's easy for people to get confused... These are two statements that are, I think, pretty consistently told to everyone. And they completely, they, they, they clash with each other, right? The one person says, mm-hmm. the hospital made it seem very black and white. You eat X amount of carbs and you take X amount of insulin and just go on and live your life. And the next person says, it would have been nice to understand that all the free carbs they were telling me I could eat weren't really free, <laughs> And it's, it, it you know, so what, which is it? Are there free carbs or are there not free carbs? And every carb gets covered. The real answer is in between.
1: It is. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. I think the first statement is take this amount of insulin for this amount of, of black and white carbs, regardless of what it is. And it should cover that amount of food. But now we're digging deeper into insulin action and food digestion. Uh-huh. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a road kind of that veers off of take the insulin to cover this amount that you counted. It may be a timing thing, you yeah. know, um, something like a big bowl of cherries, for example. You definitely need that insulin now. The same amount of carbs, though, in a grilled chicken Caesar salad. You may need that same amount of insulin, Mm -hmm. but I can guarantee you don't need it all up front.
0: Do you think that they talk about free carbs more with kids because they've they've already given the kids a wide target range to begin with? So if your kid's 80 and drifting down, you can give them this, I don't know, a certain number of these things and it's free. Don't bother giving insulin for it because they know you need it to fix the blood sugar and the bigger idea about insulin and the bigger idea about insulin, you don't have yet.
1: It could very well be. And remember, a lot of kids initially diagnosed are very sensitive yeah. to insulin and may have a ratio that's something like one unit for every 50 grams of carb. Well, then really, if you're starting out, you don't have a pump yet, and you're using multiple daily injections, and your child wants to eat five grams of cucumbers, that that's free. Yeah. There's There is no way to dose for that. Right. You know. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, you can dose, you can dilute insulin, you can get micro doses of rapid insulin, but that's another, that's another regular piece that have to deal day to day.
0: Yeah. You right. know, what? it's funny as we're talking, I think here are the words that are missing when people are talking to clinicians. Right now, these foods are going to be free, but that probably won't be like that forever. It's the, it's the, it, those things are the things that no one tells you. Because right. as I'm reading, the, I mean, we're going through these bold beginnings things. And the thing that sticks out to me most is that what you get told in the beginning really, really sticks in your head. Yes. You know, and then when things morph and change, your honeymoon ends or your kid gains 20 pounds and all of a sudden a half unit's not enough to, you know, just tank them completely. Once mm-hmm. things change, people hold on to the the rules they were given at the beginning. And then the rules in reality don't match any longer. And no one ever comes by and tells them, Oh, that's fine. The stuff changes, you know, be flexible.
1: <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. I think also that goes right along with that is it, it is the concept of change and people rightly. So they take the information they've been given as if it's written in stone And this is not going to shift. Uh Again, some explanation needs to go along with it in terms of especially kids who have very fluxing needs for many, many reasons. Not that a newly diagnosed adult doesn't initially, too, but I think more so for kids, especially since their insulin doses may be microscopic, to begin with, you know, free foods for a child who's really residing on just a couple units of basal insulin and really doesn't seem to need coverage at all for meals yet. Yeah. Eventually, those foods that look like they're free will need to get covered. Mm-hmm. Eventually, as their insulin needs creep up, that five gram treat or snack in the afternoon, as their insulin to carb ratio becomes more aggressive. They're going to need some insulin to cover what you didn't really need to give insulin for before.
0: This other thing that happens to people where they get told to eat a certain amount of carbs at a meal, even when they're using a fast-acting meal insulin, that, again, I think of as lazy, uh, the description that was given to them. Because I think what's really happening is the clinician saying to them, look, your kid's so small – I don't know how to break this down beyond a half a unit of insulin. So you're going to have to eat 20 carbs so you can give this kid a half a unit of insulin. Correct. But instead, the takeaway from the family is he has to eat 20 carbs every time he sits down. And then they start getting into the like, well, how do I eat 25 carbs? No one tells me that. So now if I want more than 20, I have to eat 40. And then right. and then kids can't do that and because it's too much food for them. And again, if someone would have told you, the reason we're doing this right now is because we just can't get the amount of insulin low enough to tell you how to bolus for eight carbs. But don't worry, kid's going to gain weight. This is all going to change. Honeymoon's going to end, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I think it's the rest of the words that nobody speaks that are always what causes the problem.
1: No, that's absolutely correct. Especially, you know, again, for a kiddo who's like a one unit might cover a whomping meal, but they're 3 years old and they're not going to eat that large amount of food, then you have to break it down a different way mm-hmm. for them. And it takes it takes individualizing the care from the start. It yeah. does.
0: What do you think about the idea that most people newly diagnosed are going to be MDI and that the way I heard somebody tell me the other day that the podcast is about it's for pumpers. And I thought, I don't think that's Mm. true. Like, I think that what we talk about works fine if you're – it doesn't matter how your insulin's getting in. Like, you lose – right? You can't do an extended bolus, you know, without a pump. You can't shut your basal off or jack it up without a pump. Okay. But the rest of the stuff is just about putting in insulin at the right time, using the right amount at the right time. It is –
1: I wonder if some of that timing, though – I can say, I mean, we do refer to things like extended bolus and temp basil or using, you know, Mm -hmm. the fancy features of all the other algorithm driven kind of systems that are out there. Um, But from a timing perspective, it covers both bases. It covers MDI and it also covers pumping. But in a sense, you have to be okay with potentially giving more injections on MDI in order to cover the food the way that you want and get the sort of out, you know, the aftermath covered the way that you yeah. need it to be. You can so do I, you can do that. And from the beginning, again, we've talked about this in stacking, right? Mm-hmm. From the beginning, people get scared of stacking their insulin and they need to learn from the get-go that if you're going to eat little bits, as many little kids do a little here, a little here, a little here, you may have to figure out how to get the insulin in, in the right amount to cover that little bits of nibbles along the way. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I have this thought from this person here that I don't, I kind of don't see how it fits into this conversation completely, but it is really interesting to me. Um, so I'm going to mark it and come back to it at the end there. Oh, yay. Okay. Hold on. Um, we were told snacking under 15 carbs was free. Just So this person was just told anything under 15 carbs was free, not just certain foods. Like you can have a cheese stick or you can have mm. chicken or something like that.
1: I wonder what their initial dose of insulin was like to – because, I mean, 15 as we've t- – the 15-15 rule, like <laughs> right? Anything under 15 is free, but I can use 15 to treat a low blood sugar, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, that's confusing.
0: Yeah, I – and then you wonder if this is what they were actually told, or if this is how they remember it, and or if this is exactly what they were told, and the person telling them was com- was conflating was two different right. ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not all carbs are the same. This person says, "I had anxiety about food and insulin, and it took weeks to really get an idea of what a balance looked like for me." Mm. So i I can't tell you. I mean, I don't have diabetes, right? But I can't imagine what it feels like to be given this medication, being told, look, you have to use it. If you don't use it, you're going to die. And if you use too much of it, you're going to die. And it's connected to everything you put in your mouth. I I don't know how that, that must freeze people. The idea that that eating disorders come out of type 1 diabetes frequently. is very not, easy
1: to see. It's
0: not at all shocking, right? Because no. of that feeling like this. No, no. Um, paralysis of analysis that you must get. I hate using terms like that, but but that idea yeah. of just like, well, what do I do? Mm-hmm. And then everything you've been told is scattershot, it seems. I mean, some people come away with great, you know, with great information up front, but for the most part, I don't get to talk to those people very frequently.
1: Right. And I think it also speaks to the very individual nature of how you first teach somebody about their diet, you know, their diagnosis with diabetes. Mm-hmm. You can't, from my perspective, you can't approach somebody the same way as you did the person three hours ago. There's no way to do that. From a newly diagnosed standpoint as well, you still have to ask enough questions that help you to individualize the care so that their lifestyle, while it's going to be impacted is a little bit more, it's a little easier to get them to understand how to do these things mm-hmm. within what they had been doing before diagnosis from a from a comfort level. And there are some personalities that certainly require some additional assistance sooner than later.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, obviously, there are some people who just get like, I'll do it. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. Right. And then there are some people who are like, you're not changing my life. And- Again, anywhere in between. And we just tell them all the same thing and send them home. Um, Right. Is this accurate? This person says the kids are hungry for a few weeks after diagnosis. Like overly hungry?
1: That's in a general sense, especially if they have lost a fair amount of weight. Mm -hmm. Because their body was essentially eating itself. (laughs) I mean, that's the easiest way to explain it. You know, when the blood sugars are running so high, obviously they are losing a lot of calories through urine excretion. Mm -hmm. And so after diagnosis, now when their body actually is able to, gosh, I can grab this food and I can pack it away, I can store it, absolutely kids can get very, very hungry. They're also in a stage, not to say that adults or, you know, those over the age of growth, couldn't also be hungry again, especially if they've experienced that extreme weight loss before diagnosis, they may also, their body is just telling them, Hey, we need to put this back on. You lost a lot. We have to sort of recoup what, what was kind of given away. Um, but kids are growing already. So you could expect them to be hungry.
0: Right. Even if they're just more feeling healthier because they have insulin and they're getting back to where they were. But I mean, Arden was down, excuse me, Arden was down a fair amount of weight. She was small and -hmm. she was ravenous for a little while as well. Um, Somebody just says here, it would have been nice if somebody gave us the rundown about the glycemic index and glycemic load. If you go to the Pro Tip series, there's an entire episode about that. Earlier in the podcast, uh, Jenny touched on a little bit about giving you lists of foods that impact differently. But if you... I was going to say, if you want to understand, but you really have to understand it. So go find that episode. Understand mm-hmm. the, um, you know how how words that seem a little weird and confusing and stuff you haven't heard before are really important. Uh, glycemic index and glycemic load. Uh, while we were in the hospital, we were told not to do more than forty-five carbs a meal. So hmm. she says this was clearly BS. <laughs> so when we, <laughs> when we went home, we felt the need to go to the store and buy a ton of diabetic food.
1: Mm.
0: of course we haven't bought any of that since so it's just it's just an insight jenny into how saying something to someone incorrectly or not conversating with them to make sure they understand your intent can send people down these crazy rabbit holes i I don't know that people can afford to go to the grocery store and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars refitting their home only to find out later that magic spoon cereal tastes like not good. I'm sorry for those of you who like it.
1: <laughs> I like Magic Spoon cereal. It's the one processed thing. And I will say it is processed. I mean, it, there is no doubt about it. If and when I have it, we do it for like a road trip or like to go camping or something because it's it's a little bit easier and it certainly doesn't have bad impact on my blood sugar. I have tried some of the other brands out there, which I will not name. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but um, the Magic Spoon is definitely one that I can I can say it works like it says it's going to work glycemically. And many of the flavors, I won't say all of them, many of the flavors are um, palatable.
0: We tried one. And she was like, no, Arden said, I'm going to have to bleep this out. Arden said, were they trying to approximate? Hold on a second. (laughs) I'm making myself laugh unintentionally. Or were they trying to approximate what a unicorn's asshole must taste like? (laughs) <laughs> oh no. She did not like it at all. She
1: didn't like no,
0: it. Oh, and write the garbage. But that's fine. Yeah. There are a lot of people who love it. And I think that's terrific. There are. But but the point is, is that if you say something specific to somebody, you can never have a meal again that goes over 45 carbs, they think, Well, h- how are we going to accomplish that? And right. you know, now they're in that one aisle at the grocery Which store that nobody goes into.
1: Is unfortunate if you go back, you know, I don't know, fifteen minutes ago when we were talking about real food versus processed food, all of the, f- all of the food <laughs> that is labeled diabetes friendly mm. or whatever they're calling it. Now it is processed. Yeah. Th- there is nothing. There is nothing in it that is, there are a few pieces, I guess, a few ingredients, but most of it is artificial sweeteners of some kind added fibers of some kind or some nature, added protein powders of some nature, right? Yeah. I mean, so you're better to go home and at least just keep eating what you've been eating and maybe then ask for help cleaning it up or figuring it out or whatever, or just go to the produce aisle.
0: (laughs) Eat real food. Yeah, you know, what is that they put in the, the diabetic? Can- I wish people could see me making the finger quotes. But diabetic candy sorbitol, right? And if you did, eat too it, much of it, right,
1: the bathroom will again be your
0: friend. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it, things will be flying <laughs> in all directions. Yes. Don't eat too much of that candy. <laughs> Just eat That's... regular candy. And learn how to pull a sport for God's sakes. <laughs> right. Yes. Um. This is interesting. Uh, this person says that they were told that anything was free under 15 carbs. On top of that, they were told not to pre their meals. And they said that these two things together made any kind of stability in their blood sugar impossible.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, 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 right? I mean, and I wish someone would have given me a comprehensive list of actual zero-carb snacks. So this is a person... I don't
1: that- know. I don't know who would have said, I really don't. That... <laughs> It makes me really, really sad that there are, that there are education teams out there that are giving this kind of information. Really? Yeah. I, I I, am like, I have nothing. To, I don't know even know what to say about that. I really don't. <laughs>
0: Jennifer's mortified. Yeah. It,
1: I am. I'm mortified. Honestly, from a professional level, I am mortified that somebody would have given that information.
0: Yeah. So here's the next thing that's going to happen. Um pizza's going to get ruined for you. You've been diagnosed with diabetes. and, And there's this thing that through 35 minutes of talking here, we have not gone over, which is, yes, food one, broccoli hits your blood sugar in a certain way. And yes, mashed potatoes hit in a certain way. And yes, mashed potatoes will hit differently if you put butter on it. And if your meatloaf is just meatloaf, that's one thing. If you put gravy on it, it's another thing. What happens when you eat them all at the same time, right? They all, in a mixed meal where they all live, the way I like to think about it when I'm thinking about insulin is where they all live on their own kind of timeline of existence in your body, like an impact timeline. The, The broccoli impacts with a certain amount of force over a certain amount of time, as does the butter and the potatoes and the beef. And the flour and the gravy and all these different things. And you just thought it was gravy and mashed potatoes, and now you're realizing, oh geez. Yeah.
1: I think one concept there is the the typical the typical mixed meal of proteins, carbs, and fats, mm-hmm. right? Um, all the macronutrients in a portion that should be eaten. <laughs> Should should have a typical absorption or digestion that goes along with the action timeline of our rapid acting insulins. Okay. The The larger the portions get or the higher in one macronutrient versus another like really, really large amount of the meatloaf and like a spoon of the mashed potatoes and maybe one stalk of broccoli, mm-hmm. right? Do you see? There's a there's a definite difference there, and that goes back to impact on blood sugar and what you may end up seeing happen. So portion comes into play too, not only just carb counting, but portion of a a combined mixed healthy meal, right. um, and the impact that you're going to expect to kind of see. Yeah, so.
0: Yeah, the, the idea being, we'd all be okay if we took a handful of potato chips once in a while. Eating the entire bag of potato chips has a different impact on your body. Yes. Yeah. So, huh, all right. So back to pizza, and pizza gets described throughout the podcast a number of different ways. But pizza is not just pizza. It's flour, and it's cheese, and it could be meat. Right or it could be vegetables, it's the sauce. There are all these different things on this one delivery system. When you understand how to bolus for pizza, that will actually open your mind up about bolusing for a mixed meal too, mm-hmm. right? Because why? Because you look at a slice of pizza and you say, well, the box tells me, or the pizza place told me this is 35 carbs. You bolus for it, the food goes in, your body doesn't start breaking it down right away, so your bolus makes you low, then you end up drinking a juice because you get so low. And then all of a sudden, 45 it minutes later, you. yeah, the pizza hits you. And now you're you're just you're lost because the insulin you put in was for the pizza. You didn't cover the juice because you were low, et cetera, et cetera. And then you learn when to bolus for pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Like when does the insulin go in versus when's the food gonna hit? How do I balance these things up? This is what you're gonna learn in the pro tip series for certain if you go listen um and you'll also be able to see bigger picture about other meals you'll be able to look at a plate uh at a mixed meal and say okay this turkey's not going to hit very hard it's five or six carbs maybe um but here's the stuff that is going to hit me and you just i don't know at some point you just learn right Jenny it's not a
1: you do yeah. and that it, it it kind of in in that example it kind of also goes back to figure out the foods that are pretty normal for you because that that base knowledge rolls over into other meals that may not be your typical, but appear to have similar enough content that you could expect to try to use your insulin the same way around this newer meal, mm-hmm. right? Um, pizza, as an example, a nacho dinner, right? Nachos and meat mm-hmm. and cheese and guacamole and whatever else comes on that. They are all similar monsters, if you will, okay. <laughs> um, a burger and fries or a cheeseburger and fries, for example, they all have a lot of mixed nutrients right. that are going to be similar to pizza. So if you have the most experience with pizza and your friends are like, well, Hey, let's go out for burger night on Friday. You're like, okay, well, it's definitely high fat. Just like my pizza. Let me try the pizza strategy. Right. Let's see. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, even, even you find yourself at a place where you get a burger and then you grab a milkshake and you probably think ice cream, sugary, fast rise. Right. More really it's the fat in the ice cream that's going to kill you, right, later, later. on. Later, yeah. yeah. A whole bunch of episodes about how to bolus for fat and protein. And that's the next part of this, really, is that this whole conversation is based around carbs because that's people's understanding that they're given, except protein breaks down in your system and turns into glucose. And fat slows down digestion, which changes bolus timing. There are other things to think about, not just carbs. I'm going to roll through some people's statements here, just so you can hear them, right? I cried about never being able to eat cake again. I know it's ridiculous, but that's what got me. And now I learned how to eat it because of the podcast. I wish people would have told me about the glycemic index again. Um, I wish people would have told me that my kids would be starving because of the way they set this up, and that's how it's going to feel. So now the kids are running around asking for food, asking for food, and the parents are like, I'm sorry, you can't eat for three hours, or we already bolused for something you should have told me before, and all the stuff that they get messed up with. Oh, these are some of these are really sad. Oh. My first couple of weeks, I thought I needed to have three hours after dinner before giving my Lantus. Like huh. he, he, so he's eating dinner right now. And at nine PM, I was leaving for work early, and this was stressing me out. So isn't that interesting? Just a misunderstanding about when somebody told them to shoot this Blantus at a certain time, they got stuck in their head as a rule, and it creates all this anxiety for this person. Down to like they're now making meals when they don't want to have them to, to right.
1: And again, there's lack of proper information given. Yeah, it's. Your basal insulin might be a very defined time of the day, but dosing that at that time of day doesn't go along with your whatever rule you've been giving about the dosing of the rapid insulin. Yeah. At, at all. The, they are independent.
0: Right. This person says, I wish someone would have just told me a little bit about how to visualize portions. Ah. See, but to what you just said, uh, because apparently prior to that, they were eating what occurred to them and not you know they didn't know no, yeah. people don't really think about it right like when yeah. we don't talk about that like that a scoop of mashed potatoes is probably i no. don't know
1: a scoop do of- you i mean you do you do or did a lot of assistance for arden that yeah. she's been growing up you could sit down at a dinner out and you're focused on what's coming onto her plate but when it comes to your own plate are you also like well oh, gosh my burger and- is it about the same? No, you just start eating, <laughs> no, Jenny, right? I'm
0: saving her. I'm, I'm I'm making her live forever and I'm killing myself at the same time. I'm, I'm, right, I'm, there
1: is no care for what's on your plate in portion.
0: Right. And so that really is the, I mean, listen, that's a bigger conversation, obviously. And I don't want to just say like Americans or anybody, you know, like I, is that we don't think about stuff like that. Food is plentiful in this country, right? You don't think about like, well, I'll just have a little bit because I want to have some more for tomorrow, right? I mean, how many times you eat something you don't finish it like, again? Ah, you throw it in the trash. You don't think twice about it. You feel like there's always going to be more food. So that feeling, there's something about finances and food that go together. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I don't have this all worked out yet in my head. But when you can afford it, you stop thinking about it as nutrition and you start thinking about it as a thing you need. And because you can afford it, you can eat it. I don't know if that makes sense or not.
1: Possibly and or if you can afford it, you can do a little bit more specialty or you can choose to do a little bit more quality, let's call it, from specialty items. Whereas if you can't necessarily afford it or you have just a budget that you really stick with, right, then what comes into the house It may be very different.
0: And Um, and I think that thought works in two different directions. Maybe if I can afford it, I can buy better food. And I can. It should. Right. And I should because I can afford it. But also the other side of it. I can afford it so it doesn't matter. And and Mm. the personal, like, the the thing I can say is that I have found myself sometimes, we have like a little candy dish, and I'll sometimes Mm -hmm. take candy out of it, and I don't want it. And at first I thought, like, Okay, like that's a snacking function. But I also realized back when I was broke, I wouldn't have touched it because the candy would have been so special. It, right. would, it was. It's almost like- Savor it's, it. It's almost like I never missed the Charlie Brown Halloween special because it only came on once and if I missed it, it was gone. But now I could stream it anywhere I want and so I can just grab it whenever I- and the food almost falls into that category sometimes. Yeah. I can afford it and it's here. And I stopped thinking about it as nutrition. And I just sort of, I think about it as a possession almost. Right. That makes sense yeah. or not.
1: It does. Yeah. You know, the other day I was um, I was chatting with somebody and they're like, well, what would you have done if you wouldn't have gone this route of like nutrition and diabetes education and whatever? And I said, you know, I, I have a very big health connection. And I said, I think I probably would have gone into the realm of um, educating on, school information that's health specific to start with educating from kindergarten forward each year builds on itself with what the kids learn in terms of their health and what they put in their body and exercise and how that builds into an adult healthy level of living. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, my, my little guy, the other day, we made a um, a stoplight thing for our pantry it's got a red, yellow, and green light on it. Mm-hmm. He made it we put it in there and he knows the green foods. He can have those as long as he's hungry. He doesn't really have to ask much about them. The yellow foods he needs to ask about and the red foods are absolutely, I mean, they're not even typically in there or they're very much on the top shelf.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> Um, But it's a good way to start educating on a very early level of these foods we can go to. Because they're really good. They serve our body. These foods, we don't need as much of them. They're still good. Or we don't really need them as often. And then, you know. Yeah. But if we did more of that.
0: Right. It, and then but <laughs> to your, to, it would work like the chicken nuggets with my son. Yeah. Eventually his palate would just desire something that was better for him. Right. Yeah. Jane, do you have a minute or do you have to go?
1: Yeah, I've got a
0: minute. Just want to roll through a couple of things here. Uh, it would have been nice if somebody would have told me the difference between a um, a correction bolus and an insulin to carb ratio. They didn't understand that. Um, that one person said that they gave me a basal bolus dosages. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They set up basal and bolus dosages for my kid, but never asked about their physical activity. And Aww. the kid was a super aggressive, like active person And so the kid's always falling, always falling. And of course, the mom's so new to it, she never puts two and two together, just thinks this is what diabetes is. My kid's got a thing now where his blood sugar's low all the time.
1: Right, because there's no explanation to why it's happening. Right. You know, yeah.
0: Yeah, so then she comes online and learns stuff and and then puts two two and two together on her own and figures it out. Um, The last thing was, I said I was going to go back to something.
1: Oh yes, I don't know what it was because you didn't. No, say it was. I
0: have it here. I'm sorry. I'm wrapping my head back around it again. She was just talking about that prior to insulin. Her whole understanding of medications was in pill form, and and okay. somehow that that predominantly made her believe that everything was super regimented. Because you take the pill in the morning with food, and then you take it again at lunch with food, and everything she'd ever learned about about medications was based on timing, and then she couldn't make the insulin work the same way, and it was mm-hmm. frustrating. Um, I don't know why I wanted to bring that up, other than I think, well, go ahead.
1: I wonder if the person is an adult who was diagnosed initially with type 2 diabetes. No,
0: it's for a kid. She said the kid, the, the kid. beginning of the statement is my kid was starving because I was trying to keep a schedule.
1: Ah, uh, so therein, again, should have been better explanation in terms of timing of insulin. It really is mm-hmm. because it, oral oral medications or even some other injectable medications they all have a timeline of action from time of giving to expected time to give the next dose. Right. But they are, they are not as precise in terms of what we can then control Mm -hmm. versus insulin being much more in our realm of controlling because we can put it in when we know that we're going to need it based on what we're putting it in for even if it's for food we do it this way if it's for correction we do it this way and we might even do something else along with it right
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so i think insulin is definitely very different than pills yeah um and that is that's unfortunate to and i don't think the doctors maybe obviously maybe they didn't ask enough questions in terms of understanding what, of medication you know use
0: it made me think about people with thyroid issues. Because mm-hmm. when you get a thyroid issue, a doctor is going to explain to you very clearly, you have to take this medication at a certain time of day. You have to take it with, you know, an empty stomach. You have to take it not with other pills, like and or you can take it with some pills, but not all of them. And here they are. It, because if you don't, your body will not take up that medication correctly, and you're going to have a deficit that will come on you slowly. Mm-hmm. And you'll just sort of, your your functionality falls apart and you don't see it happening because it happens so slowly. And still, if you go through the forums and look at people who have thyroid issues, most of their problems are because they don't take their medication correctly. Correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all about like, you know, I don't know, like I just take it when I think to take it. No, take it at the same time every day because it only lasts for 24 hours. That doesn't seem to matter to them. I don't understand. I take it every day. I never forget with my vitamins. And then you look at their vitamin list and they're taking vitamins that are blocking their
1: absorption, the
0: absorption mm-hmm. of their thyroid medication. If you can think about that pill correctly, you can think about insulin correctly. Mm-hmm. And because insulin's not going to work the same in every situation. And in the beginning, that seems incredibly overwhelming. Mm hmm. But if you, I can't believe, I, I don't, I just, I mean this the way I mean this. If you listen to the podcast, you'll understand those different situations eventually. And not because the podcast is magical, but because you'll hear conversations and scenarios and experiences that will eventually teach your brain, like the stop and go light that your son made. That I'm going to do this thing because this thing is what works for me. It's not because you've beat it into your head or you wrote it down or you, you know, you you remembered. It's because it happens. You just do the thing because it's the right way to do it. And you've heard it enough times where that's how it happens.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing, too, within many of the episodes. Actually, I'd say all of them is something to do with a variable.
0: You're right. Yeah,
1: it it is. So if you if you pay attention and learn, whether it's learning from somebody else's experience and saying, well, I have this same sort of lifestyle, maybe I could give that a try or that sounds like it would work better. Maybe mm-hmm. this is why it's not working for me. <laughs> right.
0: Well, you know that you said that I, I skipped over a statement from a person here who said, I wish someone would have just told me that breakfast will have diff- a different impact every day even if I eat exactly the same thing, and I thought, I don't want to go through that because that's not really true. It feels like that because that's what you see. You see that I put the insulin in at this time, they ate the same food, and then something different happened. But you don't see how much insulin did they have overnight. Is this a moment where there is a growth spurt or there's not a growth spurt? Is my period happening? Is my period not happening? Was I very active yesterday or very sedentary? All of those variables, people who ask questions like that in the beginning, they don't see that. The truth is, is that the meal and the food, that didn't change. Something else changed and you don't realize it. Maybe you're on a pump and you're at the end of a pump site and it's going bad. or.
1: Or maybe you're on an algorithm-driven pump, and because settings aren't quite navigated appropriately, the system is doing one thing some mornings, giving you a load of insulin, getting you ready, and so your aftermath of breakfast looks a lot better right. versus taking away, and now you're left with you know this deficit of insulin, and then things look the opposite of what you really wanted.
0: Yes. There are so many variables. Yes. <laughs> and the only way to learn them is to live through them and to not put yourself in that exact mindset of that question, which is why I didn't ask that question out loud, because I don't want people to think that. I don't want them to think that diabetes just magically happens to them because-
1: Yes, there's it, nothing magical about
0: it. Right. It's all, it's, all, <laughs> it's all pretty, it all happens for a reason. The reasons are hard to see. And again, yeah. you keep listening to people's conversations and they say something and finally, it like it it pops in your head, you go, oh my God. And then you relate it to something in your own life. And before you know it, that's another thing you've got in your tool belt that you don't have to wonder about ever again, because it's just there when you reach for it. So anyway, I thought this was a great conversation. I appreciate you having it me.
1: I did with too. Me. Absolutely.
0: Thank you. And thanks to you for subscribing. I hope you enjoyed this ad-free content.